You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data app. So this is a little bit more challenging getting through this voice thing than I expected. Um, but we're getting there. Yesterday I woke up and I was like, all right, let me just try to talk. And literally no sound came out. So <clears throat> there was no podcast yesterday. Also want to apologize if you can hear that hum in the background. I tried to listen to it to see how bad it was going to be. I couldn't really hear it. Although there's a blaring hum in my ear making it hard for me to gauge um, how loud that is. I'm thinking a new computer is probably coming very, very soon because this fan is just about to junk out. Why don't you just get a new fan? Well, because the computer's old, and because it's an all-in-one computer, and I don't know how easy it is to just bust this thing open, whatever. Don't worry about it. Also, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Thank you very much. So, what else is new? That is literally going to drive me insane. Um, I would say the biggest and most important thing to um, let you know right now is that I'm making a pretty hard push on Instagram right now, similar to what I was doing with um, iTunes reviews. And if you were, have been listening for a while, you know how um, incessant and insistent I was on that. But there's some good news, because what we're doing right now is if you go right now and follow me on Instagram, there are three signed Packers jerseys coming complete with certificates of authenticity that uh, we're going to be giving away. The uh, three jerseys are Chuck Marcin, James Lofton, and Lynn Dickey. And the way that it works is the first winner will get his pick of the three. The next winner will get his, his or her pick of the next two. The next winner gets the last one. So make sure you jump over to Instagram and follow Packernet Podcast. That's the name of it. Should be pretty straightforward on Instagram. Otherwise, we're seven away from 250 on iTunes. So if you have not yet left in a five-star iTunes review, that would be greatly appreciated. But anyways, there's a lot to talk about, so why don't we just take a break and um, we'll dive right into it. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. 
Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. That Packers and Lions game was definitely a lot of fun. But to make sure that we're maximizing the amount of fun we have, we should probably stop over at MyBookie and make sure that we're getting a little bit of cash on top of it. As of right now, the Green Bay Packers are currently favorited by 5.5 points against the Oakland Raiders, with the over-under sitting at 47. If you're not into spreads and totals, we also got some player props. Not interested in that? How about betting on the Green Bay Packers to win the NFC North or just go all in and say win the Super Bowl. All that is just scratching the surface because we've teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you this great offer. Sign up at MyBookie.ag and use promo code OVERTIME and they'll match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. So the first big news event of the day is the fact that Ryan Grant got brought in at wide receiver. I mentioned that I wanted to address wide receiver, and this is really kind of what I was thinking was best case scenario because, as I said yesterday, there's really just nobody available um, outside of some kind of a blockbuster trade uh, that I could see the Green Bay Packers bringing in. And here's the biggest problem with that. The Packers are winning and Devontae Adams is eventually going to come back. So if, if we can win some pretty tough games, I mean, we're talking uh, the Dallas Cowboys, the Detroit Lions, you know, maybe you could say they're both bad teams. Who knows anymore who's good and who's bad. wasn't very long ago Dallas was maybe the top team in the NFC. I, I don't know. But the bottom line is it's hard to make the case that we have to, you know, sacrifice potentially a little bit of our future by giving up draft capital as well as, as paying – um, a contract to somebody, probably a somewhat of a long-term contract, which is going to also hurt us down the road with signing our own guys, et cetera, et cetera, to do all that while we're winning without Devontae, who is coming back. But uh, clearly something had to be done, especially with the, the newer injuries, which probably has more to do with this than anything else, which should actually make us a little bit nervous. Uh, maybe not so much, hey, these wide receivers aren't getting the job done, but, um, hey, we're really banged up at wide receiver. We need to make a move. And I, I, I think that this kind of a pickup uh, speaks to that a little bit. It, it's hard to say, but I can say with, with uh, relative ease, this is not a – if it's an upgrade, it's not a big one. Um, Packer fans in general are going to be a little bit higher on their own players than, um, than you know, than is what reality would dictate. And the fact of the matter is, if you look at Geronimo, if you look at MVS and whatnot, they're, they're very average. And the fact of the matter is, that's kind of what Ryan Grant is. So he was brought in just to kind of fill in. And in terms of why Ryan Grant, there's only two things I can think. What well, One, there's a, a big pile of available wide receivers, and Ryan Grant is, is right up there as far as, as fitting the just not terrible wide receiver role. 
Beyond that, though, there is a little bit of a connection between what um, Matt LaFleur is doing as far as scheme and, and Ryan Grant coming from Washington. I know everyone says he's from Oakland. No. He played two games this year in Oakland. Before that, he was with the Colts, but he spent four years with the Washington Redskins. Um, and if you remember, Washington is kind of where all this got started. Talking about Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay, they all... they coached together under Mike Shanahan in Washington. That's sort of the original origins of this. And um, for, I think, a year, maybe two, uh, Ryan Grant was under the tutelage of Sean McVay as the offensive coordinator. This is one year after Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur got the boot out of Washington and Sean McVay was promoted to offensive coordinator. That was in 2014. 2014 was Ryan Grant's first year. So understanding the scheme, the sort of West Coast offense, it's good because what they need is a guy that can come in this week and play if these injuries are really serious. We don't have time to kind of catch him up to speed. So it's not a matter of he's a top-end elite wide receiver. It's a matter of we need a guy that can come in, understands my playbook and my terminology, and can go out when I call a play. He'll understand what the play is and go run a route. And that's really where we're at with, with Ryan Grant. Now, hopefully he can have a really good day. I don't know. Really good day, week, career, whatever. He's only 28 going on 29. He's, you know, relatively young. I also saw some people mention he's a slot receiver. He is not. So he is some Oakland Raiders slot receiver. No, he's he's a boundary receiver who played in Washington and then spent a year in Indy, took a handful of snaps at uh, in Oakland, and now is a Packer. But anyways, more importantly, what I wanted to talk about today was um, I wanted to go through what PFF had to say about the game. Uh, there was a lot to be encouraged by. There were some players that still aren't quite where they need to be. But I think overall... It was encouraging because, again, being at the game, it's a weird vantage point. It felt not good. And I know there was a lot of good, obviously, coming back, and the defense was just stout. But it just felt like this is this is a struggle and probably shouldn't have been. But um, as far as grades and whatnot, the Packers really, really did well, especially certain players, some of which you can probably guess and we'll talk about. But um, to be able to see that many people perform that well is is, is pretty awesome. So why don't we just start off with the offense and look at the top three performing players, which is to say the three players that got elite grades. Now, as a point of reference, for those of you that are new to the show, first of all, I do this every week, just kind of looking at pro football focus and what they have to say as far as their grades for each individual player. I understand a lot of people don't always agree with it. There's a lot of questions, I think, within even PFF as far as how accurate the grades are. Because some of it we just don't know. My only argument for that is that it's the best we have. There's going to be some subjectivity because we don't always know what exactly was going on. But it's nice to be able to get a snapshot of what every single player did. Because I've tried to give grades. It's very, very difficult. I don't have a process like they do. I don't have an army of people to grade this game like they do. And so I like leaning on that. And there's also advanced statistics, which we'll talk about. But we'll start with the grades the number one player, and this is, I'm actually a little surprised. I know he had a great day. I wouldn't have thought it was this good because you got to understand, elite grades don't just get handed out like nothing. It's very, very hard to get it. There are several times guys have great days and then you go look and they got a grade of like a 70, which is good. 
but that the highest graded player, who also I, I believe was the second highest graded receiver of anybody in the NFL actually tied with Tyreek Hill, was Alan Lazard. Really, really awesome and really, really exciting because it wasn't just a matter of, you know, Packer fans saying, hey, look, he had a good day. And I, I'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. I think this gets blown out of proportion. Anytime, you know, Geronimo has a big day, it's like, oh, he's going to be great. MVS has a big day, oh, he's going to be great. And then they just re- regress back into mediocrity. If I had to put money down today, if my bookie had the ability for me to do that, I would do it. Um, I don't think, I mean, obviously this is unsustainable as it is for him to continue at this level. I don't think he's going to continue to be this good. I, I think, if anything, he'll be a mediocre wide receiver just like everybody else. And he just had a good day like everybody at some point has a good day. Ryan Grant has had several elite graded days. He's not a very elite wide receiver, though. However, there are reasons to believe that he could be an above-average guy. I mean, I think even when he was drafted, it was one of those why was he drafted so late kind of a guys. Some people really, really liked him. Some people have always been on the Lazard bad wagon because of his, his physical makeup and all that stuff. And then you got Aaron Rodgers talking about work ethic, which is, of course, increase, uh, incredibly important. All these different things. But either way, for him to just walk on the field with very little... Um, to show for is is pretty impressive. However, let me just say one thing to kind of bring us all back down. Everybody talks about how I, I think they said what he's got one reception so far this year, not even. I I don't know what the the thing is. He's only played one game or one snap. None of that is true, and this is part of the reason why I I don't necessarily uh, buy into the hype entirely. Hopefully, he turned a big corner. He's played in four other games. He's got a grand total of 38 snaps. Only 17 came from this last game. In week four against Philadelphia, he played 14 snaps and ran 10 routes. Didn't get the ball once. So, again, it's it's awesome what he did, but his grades through the year so far, 58-60, 54-58, which is to say below average, average, below average, below average, and then elite. So, again, if I'm putting my money down on something, it's a little bit of regression. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. But, you know, is he going to end up being the top guy going forward? Maybe, probably by default, I don't know. And again, I'm not trying to dump on the guy, but, you know, being a guy that was, uh, you know, a practice squad guy, those things tend to happen for a reason. I'm I'm rooting for him. I want, a, a, who doesn't want a six foot five receiver to be productive? That's awesome. But it just, I mean, I've been doing this long enough, man. I've seen enough PFF grades. I've tracked this stuff long enough. Somebody that has below average grades four weeks in a row and then has an elite. I mean, it's like fantasy. Fantasy football. You got that one guy that goes off, and then everybody buys him up in fantasy football. Like, I got to have him, got to have him, got to have him. That's his only big day of the ever. But anyways, ju- just I'm just saying it. I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm just saying it because everybody needs to relax a little bit. We're talking nobody in the NFL played as well as Alan Lazard did this past week. That's not going to continue. The second highest graded player, also with an elite grade, is Mercedes Lewis. How absolutely awesome is that? Now, again, is that going to continue? Probably not. But he has been getting better and better and better. And I mentioned at the beginning of the year how much Matt LaFleur has a positive impact on tight ends, something that Mike McCarthy never had. So is this level of play going to continue? Probably not. But will we continue to see good games from Mercedes Lewis? I think so. I think he's been trending upward all year. I think he's actually starting to fill the the Jimmy Graham role because Jimmy Graham can't fill his own role. 
So the more Jimmy Graham recedes into, you know, nothingness, the more Mercedes Lewis is going to be thrust into that role, and he's fulfilling it. Um, And then the third elite graded player is Mr. Aaron Rodgers, who with this one game has propelled himself up as a top five uh, quarterback on PFF. Obviously, he's already better than that, but again, everything kind of starts wonky, right? Aaron Rodgers started as like the 15th best, and you got craziness like Gardner Minshew, because everybody has good days and bad days. Over the course of a year, however these things balance out, you're going to continue to see Aaron Rodgers trend upward. But either way, it's very, very good to see him play at an Aaron Rodgers level because he is an elite quarterback. This is These are the grades that he gets by the end of the year, meaning on average he's elite. So, yes, absolutely expect more of this. And, and it's awesome because, you know, you want to know why we got where we got really? On top of the defense, it was Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers being the elite quarterback that he is got us to where we were. Alan Lazard, awesome, but without those pinpoint passes, because Alan Lazard was was locked up, you know, that touchdown pass, there was a guy literally, like, sitting on his shoulders. But you got a pinpoint pass and a great catch, there you go. But Aaron Rodgers had a fantastic day. Um, Really, really encouraging news. The next highest-graded player, uh, a pretty big drop down from the top three, but still in the 80s, which is a very good grade. I should just start calling it great. Why do I call it very good? Just call it great. Try to remember that from now on. With a great grade, Billy Turner. So I've been talking a little bit of smack about Mr. Billy Turner. Hopefully this is a a bit of a turnaround game. I don't really see why the Packers paid him, but the fact that the Packers paid him as much as they paid him means this kind of game is what they've always expected. So ordinarily, and it's always situational, Ordinarily, I would say this is not going to stay this way, and I'm sure Billy Turner is going to have bad days, but I'm not going to say it's impossible that this kind of continues. I really hope it does, and it would have a massively positive impact, but the fact of the matter is his pass blocking and run blocking grade were really, really good. He had like the third highest graded pass block grade, and um, as far as run blocking for the offensive line, again, if you're new, the Packers offensive line, like most offensive lines, is not good at run blocking. You draft pass blockers, you worry about pass blocking, run blocking is secondary. Uh, But the Green Bay Packers in general were were pretty bad across the board. Billy Turner stood out like a sore thumb in a very positive way as far as run blocking goes. Um, Otherwise, there were only two other players with good grades. These are grades in the 70s, Jamal Williams and Brian Balaga. Brian Balaga has consistently been a top performer, Um, probably his easiest matchup of the year. He had the second highest graded pass blocking grade, as you would expect. We'll get into the specifics of that in a little bit. But uh, just another good day. Really bad run blocker, which is pretty par for the poor. I I shouldn't say bad. It was average, but it's just frustrating to see a bunch of average to below average grades run blocking. Um, Otherwise, there's a whole bunch of average, very close to average, below average, whatever. The guys that stood out as being very, very bad on offense, obviously Darius Shepard. Now, this does not include special teams grades. These are just offensive grades. So even as an offensive grade, which I'm sure isn't surprising to you, but he was the lowest graded Packer. Again, as I mentioned yesterday, I want to give it time because I think Darius Shepard does have some ability to be a performer on this on this team and this offense, but this just wasn't it. Um, Aaron Jones was the next lowest. I think the fumble had a lot to do with that, but also his receiving grade was, was graded as bad. He just had a bad day in general. So, again, really, really positive that we have Jamal Williams that's able to be there 
when Aaron isn't really stepping up, they pull him, they put in Jamal, Jamal has a great day. I don't know what happened to Aaron, but whatever. The third guy that had a bad day was, yes, Jimmy Graham. Obviously had that drop pass, which was bad. Actually did grade positively as a pass blocker, something that he's been doing pretty consistently. I know nobody talks about it other than me because I'm looking at this, but PFF almost every week has given him a positive pass blocking grade. So he it's something that he's been working on that he has been improving on, but he was brought here to be a receiver, and that's the one aspect he just cannot get down. But um, everybody else was pretty average. Uh, I guess you could say Jay Kumaro also was pretty low. Uh, he was in the low 50s, so I'll throw him in there as the fourth worst player. Uh, you know, when I was at the game, there was somebody, you know, a couple seats over. Every single time the offense lined up, he screamed Kumaro, which I felt was really um, a good representation of Packer fans in general. Look, again, I like Jay Kumaro, but and I, this is going to be a, a somewhat negative podcast, and I don't want it to be, but really, it's it's not, nothing is negative. It's just I think Packer fans are way too optimistic about a couple things, and I can't help but address it. The Jay Kumaro thing is too much. Jay Kumaro has never done anything ever. If you take away training camp and preseason, which doesn't tell us anything, Jay Kumaro has never done anything ever. I don't dislike Jay Kumaro. I understand that he has a rapport with Aaron Rodgers and all that stuff and that they they like working together or whatever. It doesn't translate in the regular season. It never has. Maybe he'll have an Alan Lazard kind of a day. He's that kind of a guy that can maybe have somebody's number. They're just kind of in a rhythm. That's fine. But he has been a below-average receiver almost every single week that he has ever taken a snap in the regular season for the Packers. We need to give up this dream that Jay Kumaro just needs to be more involved in the offense. Jay Kumaro had 65 snaps on offense and was the second lowest graded wide receiver behind Darius Shepard. Stop it. Please just give up the dream. Listen, I told you all. I was I was the I was the OG, man. I was the original Jay Kumaro fan when I heard that he was a cousin to the Bosa's and went to Whitewater, which is where I went to school. I said, that's my guy. He's not going to go anywhere, probably won't make the team, but Jay Kumaro is my guy, and I'm going to bang that drum all day. But now I have to be the anti-Kumaro because he's this cult hero that everybody loves, and everybody just wants, we just need more Kumaro. This offense would be so much better if we had Kumaro. No, we did have a lot of Kumaro. We had 65 snaps of Kumaro. We had Kumaro on almost every offensive snap, every offensive possession. Jake Kumaro didn't play well as a receiver. He also didn't block well. He didn't do anything well. He has not had a positive graded game this whole year, and his overall grade last year was a 58.9, which is, again, below average. The only positively graded game he's ever had with the Packers in the in the regular season is his first ever start with the Packers against Arizona. And he played five snaps, so it was a little bit too small of a sample size. If you actually have a, a minimum standard for what kind of a sample size you need, that wouldn't make the cut. So he's never had a good game. Again, not trying to be negative, Although I am being negative because please just stop. Let him just be what he is. If he happens to contribute for a day, fine. Please stop saying if Jay Kumaro was more involved, the offense would be better. Again, he's been consistently one of the worst, if not the worst, wide receivers on this team this year. And that's saying a lot because these receivers have been bad outside of Devontae Adams and now Alan Lazard's one good game. 
Uh, looking at blocking, blocking overall pass blocking was very, very, very good. Uh, one of the most encouraging things is the fact that the best pass blocker, he had a pretty terrible grade because his run blocking grade was just abysmal, something he's never been good at, but this was uniquely terrible. But um, highest pass blocking grade was David Bakhtiari, kind of getting back into his rhythm. Uh, this is the one game where he was the one that needed to step up, right? Trey Flowers uh, was on his side. He didn't go after Balaga. I don't know if this was an effort to, you know, if they're looking at it saying Balaga's having a good year, Bakhtiari's struggling a little bit, let's throw him over there. But Bakhtiari handled his business against Trey. He gave up one hit and two hurries in this game. It was the most pressures overall, but again, he's going up against Trey Flowers and for the most part really handled his business. Uh, the second highest graded pass blocker, as I mentioned, was Brian Balaga. Both of these guys are in the great category in the 80s. Uh, very close to that was Billy Turner, who was number three. After that was Jamal Williams, then Mercedes Lewis, then Corey Lindsley, then Danny Vitale, then Jimmy Graham. Elton Jenkins was the only one. And again, I, I've been bringing this up a lot because Elton really did get off to a great start early. He's had about three in a row bad weeks. And I hate being the one guy that keeps saying bad things, but nobody else is saying this. And if you go on Twitter or whatever, every and I, I, I still like Elton. I think he's still a great offensive lineman. I just want to make sure that we're saying things correctly. And when people keep talking about how Elton Jenkins is going to be one of the best rookies in this class and all this stuff, that was true through the first two weeks. His first two weeks, he had a grade of 82 and 81. Since then, 59, 61, 64. Also, his, his run blocking grade for the last two weeks has gone from 70s and 60s down into the low 50s. He's had two bad weeks in a row. Not saying he's bad. I just want to make sure we're understanding the proper context here. He started off with two good weeks. He's had two bad weeks. The one in between was kind of average. We're hoping for, obviously, a little bit of a resurgence. And, and Detroit has a good defensive line. So does Dallas. So does Philly. So does Denver. So does Minnesota. This has been a grueling um, overall game and, and series of games for our offensive line. The Raiders will give some some much-needed relief uh, because although they've got a couple players, and we'll talk about the Raiders, that, that defensive line is, is nothing really to write home about. Uh, the Chiefs obviously have a couple players, but um, you know there's also some opportunities there to to redeem ourselves for guys like Elton to redeem themselves, for guys like Billy to continue the onslaught. Overall, I'm, I'm very, very happy with the offensive line. I'm very happy with Elton Jenkins over Lane Taylor. Nothing against Lane, but I, I stand by that decision. Um, and if we can get Billy to continue what he's doing, this is a great offensive line. I'm, I'm not at all trying to come down. They need to run block a little bit better, but uh, the running backs are, are carrying the load. You know, they don't even need, apparently, very good run blocking. They're just getting the job done. But just, just pointing out what it is. In terms of run blocking, the top run blocker was MVS, actually. And, and again... I mention this because this is not insignificant. Matt LaFleur has mentioned how important it is for wide receivers to do it. Marquez Valdez-Scantling stepped up in a big way and uh, had actually an elite run-blocking grade in this game. 20 snaps, by the way, 20 at attempts at, at run-blocking, which is not a small amount, and he had an elite grade, which is awesome. Uh, the only other guy who had a good grade, as again, was Billy Turner. Otherwise, everybody was average to below average. Uh, the two that stood out as being really, really bad, Geronimo Allison and David Bakhtiari. Um, some of the below-average guys, Jimmy Graham, Elton Jenkins, Danny Vitale, Jake Kumaro, uh, and Corey Lindsley was right at about average, so we'll, we'll call that average. As far as pressures given up, um, the only sack was given up by Corey Lindsley. Only one hit was given up by David Bakhtiari. Otherwise, there were seven pressures in this game. Overall, nine total pressures is not a lot. Offensive line, I think, did a really good job. Um... 
Again, David Bakhtiari had the most with three. Elton Jenkins, Corey Lindsley, and Brian Balaga each gave up two. Everybody else uh, gave up, well, I guess the only other person is Billy Turner, who gave up zero, so props to him. But, uh, yeah, zero from everybody else. I mean, it includes the running backs and everybody else that was pass blocking. Jamal Williams, Danny Vitale, Billy Turner, Jimmy Graham, Mercedes Lewis, they all pass blocked. Um, a little more clarification on Aaron Rodgers if you look at um, his specific statistics and grades. First of all, he had almost an identical grade under pressure as well as not under pressure. He was only under pressure nine times, which doesn't sync up with what I just said, but there's probably some overlap there. Somebody gives up a sack, somebody else gives up a pressure or whatever from one side. That's probably how you end up with that. But only eight pressures in the game, which is incredible. Now, his completions, uh, it was 42%, only three of seven completions. Um, but his adjusted completion percentage was 100%. Because they do not uh, count hit as he throws, throwaways, drops, batted passes, and sacks. He was sacked once, had one drop, had two throwaways, and had a, at one time he was hit as he threw. And then three of these were completions. So they have it at 100% completion percentage. Of the three completions, 54 yards, 7.7 yard average, which is pretty solid. When there was no pressure, 21 of 32, his adjusted completion percentage was actually 71.9% because there were two drops on these uh, throws. But 229 yards, 7.2 average, two touchdowns, one interception, and the interception was not his fault, which is one of the big benefits of pro football focus. They are not going to count that interception as an Aaron Rodgers problem. They will look at that and grade that as a positively graded play, whereas just looking at statistics, for example, you look at it and say, ha, two touchdowns, one interception, not his best day. But um, NFL passer rating, which does include that one interception, which uh, Skip Bayless, by the way, he keeps he keeps looking at, it's, it's, I think he looks at QBR, not passer rating. The problem with that is it, it intertwines too much what the wide receivers do. So when you have drops, which count as incompletions, when you have throwaways, which count as incompletions, when you count batted passes, when you count sacks as incompletions, well, I don't know if that doesn't count as an incompletion. You count interceptions, which are the wide receiver's fault. I hate to tell you, but I will take PFF grades over QBR any day of the week because they sift through all that. But he had very good grades on all of these. Um, and an NFL passer rating of 94.4 when not under pressure. Uh, looking at the rushing a little bit, pretty much everybody had average grades with the exception of Aaron Jones, who had a bad grade. However, statistically, it was still a pretty good uh, day across the board. Jamal Williams had 14 attempts for 104 yards, which is 7.4 yards on average. Marquez ran it once for 9 yards. Aaron Jones, who had a bad day, which again is where grades come in, right? You're looking at what he did compared to what he should have done. If, if it was just Aaron Jones at 4.3 and you look at it and you say, how is that a bad day? Well, you look at Jamal getting 7.4 and it kind of illuminates that for you a little bit. But 11 carries, 47 yards, um, 4.3 average. Jamal Williams was also adding 4.07 yards after contact on average. So not just four yards per play. No, 7.4 yards on average. He was getting four yards after first contact. Aaron Jones was getting 2.36 yards after contact, which which just about makes up the difference. There's still one yard of, of difference in there. But uh, Aaron Jones, obviously, with the uh, one fumble. As far as avoided tackles, Jamal had three. Aaron had zero. So, again, great day for Jamal Williams, and, and really good to have that tandem step up because guys have bad days. As we'll talk about with Kevin King and, and Jair, it's good to have one step up when the other doesn't. 
Uh, looking at receiving grades, which is pretty lined up with uh, the overall grades that I already gave you, but Alan Lazard with a 91. Oh, actually, you know what? I lied. This is different. Uh, Mercedes Lewis actually had a higher receiving grade than Alan Lazard. Lower overall grade, but higher receiving grade, so that's awesome. Um, he only had two targets, two receptions, so it is somewhat of a small sample size, but they do take into account also, I believe, all the route running and whatnot. So two targets, two receptions, 50 yards. Um, the math on yards per reception is pretty self-evident. Uh, eight yards after the catch, which is four on average. His 25 yards was the longest, so apparently that was two 25-yard plays. And again, two first downs is pretty self-evident. But 118.8 passer rating when targeted. Second highest, also elite grade, was Alan Lazard. Four receptions on five targets for 65 yards and a touchdown. 16.3 average, 12 yards after the catch. 35 yards was his longest. He converted three first downs. 158.3 passer rating when targeted. Um, another guy that had a very good receiving grade was Jamal Williams. So Jamal had a, a very good pass blocking grade, uh, a good uh, I guess fumble grade because he didn't fumble. Uh, drop grade, receiving grade. Across the board, he just did it all. But um, again, uh, four receptions, five targets, 32 yards, one touchdown, uh, eight yards per reception, 34 yards after the catch, 8.3 yards after the catch per reception, which is just crazy. The guy's getting almost a first down worth of yardage after the catch. Uh, longest reception was 16 yards. He converted two first downs. And again, three avoided tackles, 132.9 passer rating when targeted. After that, it drops down into the average to bad category. Geronimo was the only average receiver. Uh, three receptions on six targets, 13.3 yards per reception, nine yards after the catch. His longest was 21 yards, two uh, first downs converted, 71.5 passer rating. Um, below average, Marquez, two of two for 48 yards. His longest was 46 yards. He had one first down, obviously, on that 46-yarder. 118.8 when targeted. Uh, Jay Kumaro was 2 of 3 for 17 yards. His longest was a 10-yard reception passer rating of 81.3. Uh, then you got Jimmy Graham. We're getting down into the bad category. Caught 2 of 5 for 17 yards, um, including one drop. 3.5 yards after the catch, had a 49.6 passer rating when targeted, which is pretty abysmal. Uh, Aaron Jones caught 4 of 6 for 13 yards. His longest was 9 yards. He also had a drop in this game, 70.1 passer rating when targeted. And then finally, Darius Shepard caught 1 of 2 for only 1 yard. His other pass obviously was intercepted, 16.7 passer rating when targeted. So... Anyways, that's the offense. Why don't we take one more break, and then we'll take a look at the defense and special teams, and we'll get out of here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Defensively, as you would expect, uh, the grades are quite good. Uh, nobody actually graded out in the elite category, but there was a lot. I mean, typically what you have is you'll have like a couple really good then like two or three good. And you had half the team that was basically in the quote unquote good category. Almost everybody else was average to very close to above average. There was only one that was really, really, really bad. 
Some of you aren't going to like it, but you probably know exactly who it is. And yes, I'm going to go on a little bit of a, 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 a rant on that. But let's start with the positive first. Looking at overall grades, um, the highest graded player was Jair Alexander. Not quite elite, but but quite a ways up the ladder in terms of uh, his, his great grade. Almost entirely coming because of his coverage. Although nothing else was really bad, he actually did fine in tackling, which is great to see. He had two tackles, one stop. Uh, he was only targeted three times in this game, only one reception caught for three yards, and he did have a pass breakup. 42.2, uh, or excuse me, 42.4 passer rating when targeted. He had a great day. Um, another guy that you probably could expect, he had a he was pretty terrible as a pass rusher, which isn't great, but the one area we needed him was in run defense, and Dean Lowry was just the man. Overall grade, still in the very good category. Uh, he had three tackles, one assist, all th- or he had three stops in this game. And, and again, for those that don't know, a stop is basically a tackle that is significant, right? So on first down, it's it's uh, less than four yards. And if you're looking at like third down, it's it's a stop. In other words, you, you didn't tackle him after the first down marker. You tackled him to prevent a first down. So significant tackles. Uh, the next highest graded player, we're down into the good category, but that's still obviously good. Uh, was actually Kyler Fackrell. Only played 16 snaps. He wasn't in very much, but uh, graded out positively as a tackler as well as in coverage was his his biggest asset. Otherwise, pass rush and run defense were pretty mediocre. But uh, nine pass rush attempts did convert one sack. On top of that, had two tackles. One of them was a stop. He was only targeted once. It was caught for two yards, and that's on four times dropping into coverage. Only one target, one reception uh, for two yards. Uh, The next highest graded player, Will Redmond who did not pass or interfere with anybody. I don't care what Detroit Lions fans want to cry about. Oops, hit the button. But uh, again, graded out positively in coverage as well as his tackling grade, which is really good to see tackling step up because that has been a big problem for the Packers. The tackling, with the exception of, of it looks like three players, was really, really on point. And that's important. That's going to be big for this defense going forward. they got to keep that up. But um, he was in coverage 34 times, was only targeted once, and broke up the pass. Yes, it's that phantom pass interference play in which, yes, his hand did touch his chest, but it did not alter the wide receiver's trajectory or anything whatsoever. You didn't see him, you know, get knocked back. You didn't see his shoulder. But when the ball came up, his shoulders were square to the ball. His hands were straight out to the ball. There was no problem with him trying to get the ball. The only problem wasn't Will Redmond yanking his jersey. It was Will Redmond's hand swatting the ball away. So, again, quit your crying. Uh, next highest graded player, still well into the good category. Very, very excited. B.J. Goodson. Goodson has been good for you know two weeks in a row now, which is great because Mr. Uh, Blake Martinez has not, and we need help with run defense, and uh, that's why he was brought in as a run defender, and that's what he's doing. He's not very good in coverage. His tackling was was mediocre, but um, actually did decent as far as pass rush, which was four attempts. But most of all, run defense. That's what he was here for, and that's what he's doing. He's got four tackles, one assist, one stop. Uh, He was targeted once, which was caught for seven yards. That is going to be a weakness. But again, B.J. Goodson, as far as I'm concerned, if he can stay in there and continue stuffing it up like that so we're not just this joke of a run defense, I'm all for it. Granted, I don't think we need it. I think we got guys that just have been underperforming. And I think we've had some really bad tackling. And if we can just clear that up, I think the run defense gets better. But I'll take B.J. Goodson helping any day of the week. After that was Tyler Lancaster just doing what Tyler Lancaster does. He has been, every I think, every single time he's ever taken the field, he's a good run defender. Um, he'll never be a good pass rusher, but he's he's a nose tackle, right? He's, he's, he's a big 
330-pound guy, um, and he's just solid up the middle. He's, he's always been solid. Uh, not necessarily elite, although sometimes he is, but um, I, don't, I don't remember him ever having a bad day against the run. But uh, 15 pass rush attempts, he actually did have a hurry, so that's awesome. Only did have one tackle, one stop. Again, this is where the grades come in, and you can kind of see that he's doing his job and, and probably have a lot of other guys benefiting with tackles and things because of his ability to just stuff things up the middle. So doing a great job. After that, you got Zadarius. I know everybody wants to see Preston and Zadarius near the top. Again, stats and grades are different. Zadarius and Preston have not graded all that well. I mean, they're grading fine. They're still graded as, as some of the top in the NFL, but the grades are never quite as good as, as the stats are. But um, overall, his, his pass rush percentage was actually a little under 10%, which isn't great. Uh, he had three pressures on 31 attempts. It's good. It's, it's not his best effort, but overall pass rush grade was, was average. He had uh, one sack and two hurries in this game. Uh, his tackling grade was actually his best asset, which is awesome. Again, I'll take that any day of the week. He did not drop into coverage. That's not really his thing. Preston does that. Zadarius does not. So really, it was just those hurries. He's he's just, he's a straight up pass rusher. Um, those are the only guys that are in the good category. Although very close was Chand and Sullivan. Um, pretty mediocre as far as coverage and and his run defense, which was only one snap. But his tackling was really really on point in this game. I believe the best of anybody in the game. Uh, he did have four tackles. He had one stop. He was targeted once, but it was an incomplete pass. So Chandon Sullivan, again, just kind of championing that that we need to get better at tackling and kind of embracing that. Otherwise, some of the average guys, Montrevious, Rashawn Gary. Um, you know, Rashawn just is not getting a lot of opportunities. He was only in eight snaps, only five times he was rushing the passer. He didn't get any pressures, but, you know, even if we're looking at it at a 10% rate, it's it's one half of a, of a pressure is what you would expect on this game. So either zero or one is what you would expect. Uh, Montrevious, actually a pretty good game for Montrevious considering how bad he's been. Seeing him close to good is is kind of huge. Only 13 attempts. They're taking some of his snaps away, giving it to some other people uh, because, again, he's been struggling. But he kind of stepped up. He, only, he did have one batted pass. That was pretty much his only statistic in this game. Um, Tremont was also in the average category. His best asset, again, was tackling. He did have a pressure in the game, which is awesome. He had one hurry, only two attempts at pass rushing. Uh, as far as his coverage, he was only targeted three times. Two of them were caught for 15 yards. Uh, he did have a pass breakup in the game, so a pretty good day for Tremont. Uh, Blake Martinez, still in the average, but low average, and I, I would go, venture to say it was a bad day. Um, you need your linebackers to have better than average performances in run defense. That's what he had. His pass rush was below average. His coverage was exactly average. He was targeted three times. He's in coverage 33 times, so three times isn't that much. Um, geez, he's, he's in coverage almost the whole game. It's like B.J. Goodson is, is the run defender, and his job is to be in coverage. But anyways, they probably just ran a lot of uh, running backs out of the backfield and stuff. I don't know. Anyways, three targets, three receptions, 21 yards. Um Preston Smith, 13th highest grade out of 17. Again, that's going to upset a lot of people. He had a good day. He had three total pressures, very similar to what Zadarius had, but it just happened to be that two of them were sacked. So it was kind of a Kyler Fackrell kind of game where it really wasn't the best effort ever, although his pass rush grade was fine. Uh, the biggest reason he was down so low, his coverage grade was actually pretty low. It was below average on 11 snaps. He was targeted twice. None of them were caught, but not because they were broke up. They were just bad passes. Uh, his tackling grade was was bad, which is not good, and his run defense grade was was below average. 
But, I mean, I'm, I'm not upset. I don't think anyone's upset. Preston had a very good and very impactful day. You saw several plays where his run defense was on point, and it was pivotal. I, I think the biggest thing for Preston and Zadarius, regardless of the grade, these guys show up when it matters. They might not be super on point on every single play, but um, you, you get guys like Preston and Zadarius, when you need a big third down play, when you need a big impactful play, these guys step up. Um, the next lowest, we're getting down into the below average category, is Adrian Amos. Real good tackling grade, um, pretty fairly on point at pass rush and run defense, but his coverage grade was below average. Uh, he was targeted six times. Four of them were caught for 54 yards, 13.5 yards per reception. Um, the next lowest, 15th out of 17, was Oren Burks. He was only out there for five snaps, so it's kind of hard to be too down on him, but um, his tackling grade was, was pretty poor, and his run defense grade was pretty poor, so it's kind of bad to have that much of an impact on so little attempts. The second lowest grade of anybody, and this is this is where I'm starting to get into panic territory because this has been almost every single week, but Kenny Clark uh, is 16th out of 17. Now, his grade isn't even that abysmal, which is speaks highly of the, the defense. This is still a technically below average grade, but Kenny Clark is an elite football player. He should be in the 90s, not in the 50s. This is every single week, and it's really upsetting. And um, it's continually his his run defense grade primarily and again I don't know if this is just him getting double teamed and PFF doesn't account for that I don't know maybe I should reach out and ask or I, I guess I can use the old game pass subscription and watch but time is is uh, a premium his tackling grade was fine his pass rush grade was average his run defense grade was below average uh, 31 attempts he had three pressures all of them were hurries he did have two tackles in the game both of them were stops otherwise uh, zero impact. He did have a penalty in the game, which is another thing. He's getting like every single game he's getting a penalty, which they that does negatively impact a grade overall, but it's still not going to move the needle if he has an elite performance. So I don't know what's going on with Kenny. Kind of reminds me of last year with Mike Daniels, although Mike Daniels wasn't this bad, but it was still kind of a what's going on with, with Mikey D. I don't get it. And Kenny's on a contract year. This is very strange. Um, and finally, the, the last and lowest graded player, and this goes from the 50s down into the 20s because it was that abysmal, uh, Kevin King. Now, I don't want to go too much in on Kevin King because I know it's a very sensitive issue. And again, if you're new, this has been my mantra for a while, that Kevin King has not earned the respect. I, I mean, I, I shouldn't put it that way. He has not earned the praise that Packer fans give him. Maybe he hasn't earned quite the vitriol either. But there are a lot of Packer fans who want to say that he is a very, very good corner, and this is including all the blue check mark folks on Twitter, all saying the same mantra: when he's healthy, he's a very, very, very good corner. I don't think that's ever been true. The man has had one good game this whole year, and everybody acts like he's had one bad day. That's not true. So let me just run through this real quick. Jai or uh, Kevin King, ten targets. Six receptions. So one of the things that have been said about this last game is it was only two big plays. That's false. Ten targets, six receptions. The next highest was Adrian Amos, six and four. He gave up 163 yards in this game. I think that that there was only 265 yards given up through the air in the entire game. That's basically, that's 102 yards given up by, let's see, Adrian Amos, Blake Martinez, Tremont Williams, B.J. Goodson, Kyler Fackrell, Jair Alexander. Those are the only guys that gave up any yards. They gave up 102 combined. Kevin King gave up 163. The difference between Jair and Kevin King is that Jair's had one bad day. He had 
against Dallas, 12 targets, 8 receptions, 201 yards, um, gave up a touchdown. He also had a pick and two pass breakups in that game. Outside of that, 8 targets, 3 receptions, 37 yards. 8 targets, 3 receptions, 49. 5 targets, 3 receptions, 20. 6 targets, 2 receptions, 19. 3 targets, 1 reception, 3 yards. That's Jair outside of those games. If you look at Jair's, Jair's grades, he has had one grade that is below average, and that was Week 5 against the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Kevin King has had three grades below 50. Week 3 against Denver, his, his coverage grade was in the 30s. Week 5 against Dallas, his coverage grade was in the 40s, and then Week 6, his coverage grade was in the 20s. He had one elite game against Philadelphia Week 4. Six targets, two receptions, 25 yards, two pass breakups. It was a great game. But the fact of the matter is, right now, he is graded as one of the worst corners in the NFL, and that's not unusual. He's very typically outside of the top 100. I don't think he's ever been, by the end of the year, inside of the top 100. Well, he's hurt. Listen, that doesn't hold water, man. I mean, this is his third bad game of the year. His first one was Week 3 against Denver. Was he hurt then, too? He gave up 123 yards in that game, very similar to this game. Was he hurt in that game? If you want, I mean, and, and again, what are we basing this on, that he's a good corner? I know he's had good plays. I know he's had good games. That's great. But there is an element of consistency that goes along with being good at something. If you're good for 50% of your games, I'm sorry, you're just not good. If you're bad in half of your games, I'm not calling you good at stuff. His grade for three years, um, by, by year's end, including this year up to this point, 51, which is below average, 56, below average, 52.6. Kevin King, out of 117 corners, is graded as the 94th best corner. 94th out of 117. Looking specifically at coverage grade, 93rd out of 117. Looking at yardage given up this year, he's given up the second most yards of any corner in the NFL, 442 yards. One of only three corners that has given up over 400 yards this year. Looking at yards per reception, 20.1 yards per reception is the third highest of any corner in the NFL. Fifth most yards after the catch of any corner in the NFL. He also has the fourth worst tackling grade of any corner in the NFL. 31.2 is his tackling grade. The only grade he has that's positive is a pass rush grade, and he has zero pass rush attempts. It was basically on one play. I don't have a problem with Kevin King. I'm glad we have Kevin King, and I know he can be a good corner at times. He can be a, a big compliment who can take out some pretty good wide receivers. But what I'm saying is we got to stop with this ridiculous mantra that he's one of the top corners. He's this lockdown corner. As long as he's healthy, we're good. It's just not true. It's never been true. The only way you can argue that is he's never been healthy. Therefore, he's probably good when he's healthy. Because he hasn't been good. He's fine. But if, if, the, if the Kevin King formula is he's terrible when he's injured and he's always injured, therefore he's really good when he's healthy, that just doesn't hold water. And again, we can actually, I, we have the ability to look at the games he played when he was healthy. Again, unless we want to play this game that he's been hurt all year. In which case, fine, but what are you basing good on? If the only retort is, well, he's, he's the, the only reason he's been bad is because he's hurt. Well, when has he ever been good? Well, he hasn't, but he's been hurt since forever. Okay, well then stop saying he's good at stuff. Stop saying it. He's, he, his best game this year was an 80 overall grade. 
he was, had a 90 in coverage, but he had a 20 tackling grade and a 32 run defense grade. It was 80 overall, which is good, but whoop-de-doo. From best to worst this year, 80, 72, 69, which is in the average category, 51 below average, 40, and 28. That's what he's done this year. His best game was week four. His second worst game was week three. So it's not a matter of, well, he's been getting worse because he's getting more injured. No, four, one, two, five, three, six. That's the order of weeks from best to worst. Very similar to last year. His best, his best game, San Francisco, real good game. 90 overall grade in coverage, elite game. He had four targets, one reception, had an interception in the game, 5.2 passer rating when targeted, real good game. Outside of that, 64, 61, 53, 50, 44. Those are his games. Well, he was hurt. Okay, well, the 53 was week one. Was he hurt week one? Okay, well, then if he was, then, <laughs> I mean, again, what are we basing it on when he's healthy? That Give me a list of games when he was healthy. Give me the list so we can look at it. Because everybody's just saying stuff. Everybody just says it. When he's healthy, he's good. Give me a list. Somebody give Of all the Kevin King apologists, give me every single list of every single game in which he had no injuries or no injuries that should impact it, and we'll go look at those specific games. Because the guy has had three really good games in his entire career. 2017 against Atlanta when he played Julio. It was 2018 against San Francisco. And it was 2019 against Philadelphia. Unless three random games midseason, he's fully healthy and every other game he's hurt, I don't think that that argument holds any water. I think those are excuses for people that like Kevin King. And I don't have a problem with you liking Kevin King. But stop acting as though there isn't cause for concern. Stop acting as though he's a great player except when he's injured because that's just saying stuff. It's not actually looking at information. And again, even if that is the case, you're going to have a hard time finding out when he's healthy. So if the formula is, again, he's bad when he's hurt and he's always hurt, following the logic here, he's kind of bad always, right? Maybe it's not his fault, although I disagree with the premise in general. Again, I like Kevin King. I think he's he's done better this year than I expected. He's done a lot of good. He fits with the whole, you know, the dynamic duo of him and Jair. He's embracing it. That's awesome. This needs to be better. And if he's too hurt to play, he needs to not be on the field. But he's not too hurt to play. He is on the field because, again, not too hurt to play. If he was, he wouldn't be on the field. Kevin King, by the way, this past Wednesday practice was full participation. So on this entire injury report... Uh, with all these injuries and whatnot, he's not even limited. If he's too injured that he can't even play properly, they're going to rest him a little bit because they need him to play better. He's full participation. So again, just stop with the excuses because they're really, really, really annoying me. When the guy has a good day, tell him he had a good day. When the guy had a bad day, I'm going to say he had a bad day, and I'm not going to listen to people sniping at me about it. He's had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of bad days. Most of his games are bad days. I know he's really tall and he's really fast and that excites people because we want him to be Richard Sherman. He has never proven to be Richard Sherman. He has a knee and a groin issue. You know who else is hurt? Brian, well, no, Brian Balaga's not. Montrevious Adams is hurt. He had a fine day. Mercedes Lewis has a heel injury. He had an elite day. Kyler Fackrell has a shoulder injury. He was great. Aaron Rodgers has a knee injury. Will Redmond, shoulder injury. Sedarius Smith, knee injury. Jamal Williams is coming off a concussion. Tremont Williams has a back injury. All of those players are injured and had great days, including Tremont Williams, who is a cornerback who had a great day. Stop making excuses. Stop it. 
Kevin King had a terrible day, and it was his third really bad day of the year. He needs to be, I'm not even going to say better, he needs to be more consistent. Because what we get from Kevin King are good days and bad days. No, not because of injury, just sometimes he plays really good, sometimes he plays really bad. We need more consistency from Kevin King. I wouldn't even mind more consistency from Jair, although he's good 90% of the time. Not giving up 200 yards in a week would be kind of nice. Everybody needs to be more consistent. But Kevin King really needs to be more consistent because when he's bad, he is really, really bad. And again, no, it was not just two plays. It was six receptions for 163 yards. If you take away those two plays, he's still tied for the most receptions given up. But again, I'm excited he's there. He can be a big part of this defense. When he's on, he's real on. And and when you get Jair and Kevin King on at the same time, which I don't know has happened yet this year, you're, you're not doing anything. Those, those two guys can absolutely lock it down, but Kevin King needs to be much more consistent. That's going to be my thing. You can go with the injured thing all you want. I'm saying consistent. Uh, looking at special teams quickly, Jamal Williams uh, with a very good grade. Uh, some other guys that stood out, Jake Kumaro, Danny Vitale, Evan Bayless. Guys that had really bad performances on special teams, um, Alan Lazard, Eldon Jenkins, B.J. Goodson, Josh Jackson, Oren Burks, and Ty Summers. Why isn't Shepard on there? Because this is not looking at uh, returns or kicking, this is just the other stuff. The blocking and the tackling and whatnot. Uh, looking at kicking grades, Mason Crosby did his job. Two extra points, three field goals made. Uh, I should say two for two on extra points, three for three on field goals. Uh, J.K. Scott, his grade wasn't as high as you were accustomed to, uh, mostly probably because of the hang time, but 51.7 yards per attempt on average. Kicked one inside the 20 out of those three. Um Hang time, 4-3-9, which is pretty low for J.K., but, but whatever. He did the job. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. I think it was a very, very good performance. It was a hard-fought one. There were a lot of challenges to overcome, but the, the biggest thing is we're having guys consistently step up when we need it, right? Like I said, Preston and Zadarius step up in big spots, but you also have guys like Aaron Rodgers having his best game of the year when we really needed it. You got guys like Alan Lazard and, and, and Mercedes Lewis, who step up. And it's one of those things where if you don't have those guys step up, we're in a lot of trouble. If you don't have Dean Lowry with his best day of the year stepping up, we're in a lot of trouble. If you don't have Jair locking down guys on, on you know one half of a football field, we're in a lot of trouble. So you have some guys that have bad days. Kevin King had a bad day. You know, whoever. Certain guys have bad days. That's fine. you got to have other guys step up and, and take control of it. And that's what happened. And that, that's what makes this a really good team. The fact that last year, when I'll tell you right now what would have happened last year. Last year, you'd have that big gainer uh, that would have converted into a touchdown because as soon as that big play happened, the team would have given up because that's what we saw all last year. This team is super resilient. They fight until the whistle, which is something we haven't seen in a long time. This is a strong team. It's a resilient team. And, and that, that honestly gives me hope for guys like Kevin King because the, the attitude in this locker room is never give up. And so rather than, than pout to himself, he's going he's gonna to regather himself, recoup himself, and he's going to have a better week this week. In fact, I'll probably back that up on the, uh, the stock game. We'll see what his overall grade is and whatnot. But I, I might throw a little shares his way because he's due for a big game. But anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.